And um, Steve serves as a lawyer at IMMI out in Westfield. But uh, in addition to doing that during the day, he has been a great uh, team player. He and his wife both serving in a number of different ways uh, here at Genesis Church. I know for Steve specifically, he serves with our Gen Kids ministry. Uh, he's been a part of our preaching team uh, for many years now at Genesis and uh, also serves on our elder team, currently serving in the role uh, as chairman. Um, Steve and Sarah... Uh, made the big step with so many to help launch our Genesis Carmel campus uh, almost a year ago now. And uh, boy, they have been key players, a key part of that team and some of the great work that's happening with our Carmel campus. Uh, Steve's done some preaching over there and they've continued to serve. And and I think it's so special for the two of them. And some of you might remember seeing their story about how they talked about their friends and their community that they didn't ever feel like could get them to make the drive to Noblesville as they live over on the other side of Westfield, and so when the Carmel campus opened up so much closer to their home, they just got especially excited about inviting their friends and their neighbors, people that they've been investing in, to come and see their church, and those types of things are happening uh, right now, and so uh, I I love Steve and Sarah. Uh, We would call them great friends, and uh, I'd call Steve one of my closest friends. He is a guy that loves Jesus and is just seeking to be obedient in every part of his life. Uh, He's a great man, um, and I'm excited for you to hear from him. So would you just join me in welcoming Steve right now, uh, coming to preach for us in just a moment. And as he comes, uh, we're continuing in our series uh, here at Genesis Church called The Story. Good morning. It is really good to be with you this morning. Uh, this is a, a very fun place. I, I love walking through that door uh, in, the, in the back and walking up that ramp and being back with you today. Uh, this is a, an absolute treat for Sarah and I as we continue our series called The Story. And we've been doing this for a while now. We're in week 10. But as we continue as a church to go through this book together, which is based on this book um, as a church, to read through the Bible in a year is a... It's a big deal. And for those of you who haven't been with us for the last nine weeks, uh, it's not too late to get caught up. So you should go to genesischurch.me, and you can find the reading plans there, and you can uh, read with your own Bible. You don't have to get the story. You can read your Bible, uh, the scriptures that we're reading together as a church during the week, and and you can still get caught up. Uh, You're not that far behind. And through the series, we've been talking about how there's, there's really two stories here. There's God's upper story, And our lower story. And while our lower story changes with the choices that we make and with the circumstances that we go through uh, on a a daily basis, God's upper story, it it never changes. The fact is that we were designed to be with God. And so even though the upper story never changes and our lower story does, our lower story conspires to tell this upper story that God wants to be with us. And so where are we? We've been doing this for 10 weeks, and we see that God 
he has this chosen people, the Israelites, and he has saved them from slavery and he's led them as they wandered through the wilderness and he's actually given them the land that he promised, the promised land flowing with milk and honey and they're there. So where we are today is they are in the promised land and I suppose at this point we could say that they have good days and bad days or good seasons and bad seasons. Some where they're following God and some when they're not. And I think it's important to remember that as we dig in together as a church, reading through the Old Testament written a long, long time ago, there are some cultural differences. And so sometimes it gets to be a challenge to understand what we're reading because we just don't relate to how that applies to us today. And it got me thinking, and, and as we were preparing the message, you know, I found some old ads, and I thought to myself, I don't relate at all to these ads. For example, if, you, if you'll check this one out, nearly 21,000 doctors agree that luckies are less irritating. So if you'll smoke those, I mean, it's toasted. <laughs> so it's, it's good. I mean, it's hard to relate to the fact that doctors would, you know, in some way recommend that. Uh, how about this one? It's hard to read if you're in the back especially, but basically what this says is you should buy a Volkswagen because eventually your wife's going to want to drive it. And they're easy to fix and they're cheap to fix. If you were to do something that gender insensitive today... You know, you'd never sell anything. The next one. So we have different moves to pick up ladies today. Uh, I'm not saying they're any more effective than this, but when we try to pick up ladies, blowing smoke in their face really can't have ever worked. It can't. And, and, then, and then finally, all of you nursing mothers know that, uh, you know, if, you, if your baby needs maybe a little relaxation or maybe a little pick-me-up, just a few beers will do the trick. And so this is just, this is five and six decades ago. This is not that long ago in our past. And we are reading a book together that was written more about, about events that happened more than 2,000 years ago. Okay, so let's just agree that there's some cultural oddities when we read through this. For example, we're going to start in chapter 10 today, and we're going to read about two men who chose very different paths, Samuel and Saul. Samuel uh, a prophet, a judge, leader of Israel, Saul, the first king of Israel. And they chose different paths. But before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about Samuel's parents. And so um, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel. We're going to be in there all day. And our story actually begins before he was born, before Samuel was born. And it begins with his mother, who was named Hannah. Now, uh, her husband was Elkanah. And Elkanah had two wives. He had Penina and he had Hannah. Again, this is a cultural difference that I don't understand. Marriage is wonderful, but it is hard enough with two people. Can, can we agree that if you added a third person to the mix, nothing good could come from that. I, I can't imagine. Penina had children, but H Hannah was barren. Um, but Scripture tells us that Hannah was Elkanah's favorite. In fact, it wasn't like a she was his favorite, but he, he never told anyone that. It was public in a demonstration about where he gave the sacrificial meat it was public that she was his favorite and he loved her more and as you can imagine this caused some um, wife rivalry uh, i wanted to say sibling rivalry wife rivalry i don't know how to say that but penina would would tease hannah until she cried about it because she couldn't have children it's just mean it's just mean what she did but in one of the worst husband moments i think ever recorded in the bible <laughs> 
You'll see it here, uh, 1 Samuel 1, verse 8. Elkanah says this, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Husband's a little tip. Never ask a question you don't want to know the answer to. Because her answer to this question was to run to the temple and to pray more fervently than she'd ever prayed before for a son. So am I worth more to you than ten sons? Absolutely not. So Hannah goes and she prays. And she prays very intensely. And in the temple there's a priest and his name is Eli. He sees her praying so fervently. He actually sees that her she's praying silently but her lips are moving and it freaks him out. He thinks that she's drunk. Now that's a fervent prayer, right? Now we could, we could have an entire message here on, on the lessons that Hannah teaches us about the fact that she, when she feels most abandoned by God, her reaction is to get closer to Him. When nothing is going the way she wants for it to in her life, she prays more, not less. Um, it, it, it's a great lesson. Now in her prayer, she says, God... And I, I, I don't know if I recommend this, but she negotiates with God. She says, God, if you give me a son, I'll dedicate him to you. I'll give him to you. And sure enough, he does bless her with a son. She names him Samuel. And after he is weaned, she, she indeed goes to the temple and drops him off uh, to be mentored uh, by Eli. So he grows up in the temple. He learns to serve God. And Eli is a good mentor. He's a good mentor for Samuel, um, although he was not a great spiritual leader in his house. Um, Eli the priest happens to be the leader of Israel. And as we read the story, we see that Eli's two sons are not following his example. They are not following God's path. And so they're stealing from the offerings. They're taking advantage of the women who serve at at the temple. They're abusing their power. And as, as a result, God decides not to allow Eli's sons to take over, and rather to call Samuel. So one night, this is in 1 Samuel 3 or on page 132 of your story, uh, God calls out to Samuel. So Samuel's lying down, and again, he's a child, he's lying down, drifting off to sleep, and, and God calls to him. Samuel's never heard the voice of God, and when he hears an audible voice calling him, he assumes that it's Eli, and so he goes off to Eli's room, and there's this odd exchange where Eli says, What are you talking about? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. And for those of you with small children, you'll understand. After kids are supposed to be quiet, after they're laying down, they're supposed to be in bed, they often think of reasons to come in and talk to you. And I love my kids, and they're wonderful, and they're really pretty creative. Um, My five- and seven-year-old boys, both of them, will come in and say, you know, Daddy, yes. Uh, So I was thinking... And I mean, they're laying there thinking, I believe that, but I don't need to know what they were thinking. So they'll come up with something they think is good. Like, so I was thinking, um, do you think that we'll always have our cars? Or do you think that our house is okay? Or is there going to storm? My favorite is, is it going to storm tonight? Now, they are not afraid of storms. They just ask if there's going to storm tonight because they're looking for something to say. So they come in and will you tuck me in and will you lie with me? Can I have my blankie? And you know the routine, right? So, uh, I say what Eli said, go to bed, lay down, stay there. Well, then Eli goes back, or Samuel goes back, and it happens again. Comes back in, Eli, go back to bed, I didn't say anything. Well, on the third time, 
Eli realizes something is up. Um, And he tells Samuel that it's the Lord calling him. And he does one other thing, which I think is really important here. Samuel, Eli tells Samuel exactly what to say the next time it happens. Now, having the right answer, knowing the right words to say is really important in life. Um, I was taught really early in my marriage that, that if any questions came across that said, you know, honey, can I, or do you think we should, or don't you agree, any questions that start like that, the answer is yes, dear. Articulate, short, Yes, dear, right? So you can practice it. It's good. But if any questions come up that are, honey, do these pants look me look, make me look, the answer is no. The answer is no, and, and you just get that right there. So Eli told Samuel this. It's 1 Samuel 3, 9. Go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Again, the right words to say. What a gift this was to Samuel. Um, and so in, in verse 10... We read this, the Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. And then Samuel said, speak for your servant is listening. Great lesson here. When we hear the voice of God, there's nothing more we have to say. Speak for your servant is listening. Now, I'm often tempted if I feel like I'm having a connection with God is as I pray, you know, I'm feeling his presence. I'm feeling like I'm having a a good time of prayer, I might want to say, now God, here's what I want. Or Lord, now that I have your attention, can you change her? Can you change him? Can you move in my circumstances? Or I'll tell you what, God, you tell me your plan, and then I'll tell you my plan, and then we can sort of negotiate, right? Negotiating, it's it's what we do. And so, um, no, speak for your servant is listening. Speak for your servant is listening. It's... um. It's kind of like a calendar appointment. Uh, at work, you know, if something happens, if, something, if I want to be a part of something, if I want to make sure that something occurs, it better be on my calendar or I'm likely to miss it. And so when you get a calendar invitation, there's a, a small set of options. You can accept or you can decline. Some of your uh, electronic calendars may allow you to tentatively accept or say maybe. But the fact is, when the meeting's here, you can either accept or you can decline. And when God sends us an invitation, those are the two options. Accept or decline. Eli's great counsel to Samuel. Be ready to accept. Be ready to accept. And in Samuel's case, he accepted. Uh, it began with his response. Speak, for your servant is listening. And it continued with Samuel's obedience to God. He continued his acceptance of God's invitation. So what was the result? So if we do this... You know, what can we expect? Well, here's what Samuel 3.19 says. It says, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was an attested as a prophet of the Lord. So God blessed Samuel because of his obedience. I like that not one of his words fell to the ground. If you ever get the impression that what you're saying is going in one ear and out the other, that... According to Scripture, none of Samuel's words fell to the ground. They were not wasted. And when he said something, people benefited. People received it. And so when Eli died, Samuel became the last judge over Israel. And he was a great leader. Uh, The Israelites uh, worshipped God because he led them to worship God. And they thrived and they defeated the Philistines. And they had, again, a good season 
like us, the Israelites were stubborn. And uh, the Bible refers to them as stiff-necked people. They just couldn't be moved. They, as they became discontent, they had their mind set on something. They knew what they needed. And so they came to, to Samuel and they asked for a king. Um, judges led the nation. They had a leader. It was Samuel and he was a judge. But that leadership style was more about wisdom than it was about might. And the nation of Israel, tired of being attacked and from time to time oppressed by other countries, demanded Samuel to appoint a king to lead them. So First Samuel uh, chapter 8 now, verse 6. But when they said, Give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord. And the Lord told him, Listen to all the people, all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. So God tells Samuel that he will give them a king. But first, Samuel is to warn them of all the dangers, of all the ramifications. And so he does. He tells them, listen, a king's going to require a lot from you that I don't currently require. He'll want your loyalty and your devotion, yes. But he'll also want some of your money, some of your livestock. He'll need some of your children to serve as soldiers in, in, in his house. And there's a lot of consequences for this decision. But the elders and leaders of Israel, they did not relent. They really, really wanted a king. It confuses me because faced with all these warnings, how could they continue to push for a king? We haven't heard their reason yet. And I think once we hear their reason, we'll understand because I, I, I think it'll maybe hit a little too close to home. First Samuel 8, verse 19, But the people refused to listen to Samuel. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations. So there it is. Israel is tired of standing out, of being different. They just want to fit in. And for me, uh, that's a little convicting. Uh, It's a lot like those ads that we referenced a few minutes ago. The truth is we look at those ads and we think, you know, they're a little hard to understand because we just don't live in that culture anymore. But the ads then are just like the ads now. They're designed to appeal to our desire to fit in. I mean, it wasn't four out of five doctors approved. It was 20,000 doctors all say that this cigarette's the best. We want to fit in. We want to feel like we're a part of something, to be included. And advertisers know that, and so they try and capitalize on it. So I guess we should agree at this point that we will not uh, write off the Old Testament just because their culture is different, because their story is our story. For example, when have you ever really wanted to fit in in your life? Because for me, the earliest thing I can remember that someone else had that I thought, I want to be like that person, I want to have what they have so that I can fit in with with those people, uh, was in grade school and it was troll pencils. (laughs) Right? They they had this, it's just a pencil, okay? It should cost five cents. But it's a pencil with a, a doll on the top with this crazy neon hair and you could style the hair or comb it back and... I mean, I wasn't really much into styling things, but it was a cool-looking pencil, and I wish I had it. And then in junior high, it was Guess Jeans. Guess Jeans. Now, they were just jeans, but I really wanted Guess Jeans. But they were really expensive, and, and my parents and I had a deal. I had to save up, and then I could buy them. Not much of a deal, but, but that was the deal. So until I could have Guess Jeans, I could use my old jeans, the ones I was already wearing, and I could at least wear them like everyone was wearing. So I pegged them. You might peg your jeans, you know what I mean? So you, 
And I wasn't very good at it, so I had to have help. But at least from far away, I would look cool, right? I would be included from far away. Now, about that time, my sisters were teasing their bangs up as high as they could go because that was cool. Uh, and then I guess my wife talked about, I was asking her, you know, what did you want that, that, to make you fit in? She talked about slap bracelets, right? And then my kids recently, it's been a few years now, obsessed with silly bands. Silly bands. They are rubber bands. The only thing silly about them is you pay $5 for like 20 of them. <laughs> silly bands. Um, and all of this makes me wonder, you know, what are we going to think about skinny jeans about 20 years from now? So um, we can probably relate then with the Israelites a lot more than we would care to admit. Their story is our story too. We are supposed to be set apart. God called Israel to be a holy nation, holy, set apart. He wanted them to attract other people to Him. How could they do that if they were just like everybody else? They were to be His treasured possession. Not just like everything else, but, but something special. And as Christians, God calls us to that too. That's our lives. We, we start to feel discontent, normally not till after we look at what our neighbors have, but we start to feel discontent and then we don't want to be special. We don't want to be set apart. We want to be like everybody else. Now, it's not pencils and rubber bands anymore. Now it's houses and cars and watercraft and expensive toys. So it only gets more expensive and more painful as we become adults. And so if we have to bend the rules a little bit, you know, if we have to um, put an approximation on our taxes, if we have to not double-check that expense report, if we have to ignore what we know is the right decision, the prudent decision, but if it helps us feel like we fit in, we're awful tempted to do it. Well, like my electronic calendar, sometimes you get competing invitations. But unlike my electronic calendar, you can't be double booked here. You know, I can have three meetings at one time and try and make parts of all of them. But we can accept or decline God. And when we accept things that pull us away from His plan, um, we decline Him. So there's no double booking. So how can God use us to bring the world back to Him if we look and act just like everybody else? Now, hear me. It doesn't mean that we're supposed to hole up in our houses and hide from the world, because that would be different too, right? Never to be out in it would be different. would be set apart, but that's not the goal here. The world is supposed to see us. What is life activating? And the New puts it, says, Do not fall into the beach. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So the pattern of this world is to put our desires first. Look out for numero uno because no one else is going to do it, right? And so if that means that my family has to suffer a little bit while I'm out having fun, so be it. So five hours of golf on a Saturday when my wife has to spend an extra day taking care of the kids all by herself, so be it. You know, because I'm looking out for me. That means, again, you have to lie or cheat a little bit on your taxes to get ahead. Eh, It's okay. It's in my best interest to try and do that. But the Scripture says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. So God had a plan for Israel, and He has a plan for us. But Israel was too busy in conforming to the patterns of the world to notice this different plan. They wanted a king 
so they could be like everybody else. And God says yes to their request. Because remember, in God's upper story, His will always prevails. But in our lower story, sometimes we get our way, even if it's not in our best interest. All right, so God gives a king to Israel. And not just any king, okay? He gives them exactly what they were looking for. A king that looked kingly. 1 Samuel 9 says this, There was a Benjamite, a man of standing, whose name was Kish, son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Becherath, the son of Aphiah of Benjamin. Uh, I'm really thankful for Hooked on Phonics. <laughs> Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere in Israel, and he was a head taller than anyone else. So this is the person that God appoints as the next king. A man by the name of Saul, young, handsome, tall. I mean, it's a lot like Paul Mumal, really, right? (laughs) He looked like a king. And if he were in the United States today, we'd say he looked presidential. So Samuel installs Saul as the king, and the people rejoice. And there were early signs of a really good partnership here between Saul and Samuel. I mean, Saul, with his charisma, and leadership. And Samuel, with his godly wisdom, it was going to be a really powerful combination. Israel could have done really, really well, even with a king. But Saul, he's impatient, and he's stubborn, and he fails to listen to God, and it will lead to his demise and then his downfall. So as chapter 10 closes, we read that God tells Saul through Samuel to attack the Amalekites and promises them victory. But specifically, he tells Saul to totally destroy them and everything that belongs to them. Don't leave anything behind, not a possession, not a single sheep or cow or camel. So Saul and the armies attack, and it is a rout. As God promised, they were delivered. However, Saul did not uphold his end of the deal. He spared their king, and he saved some of the choicest livestock for himself. So he did not obey. He declined God's invitation. And so right at the end uh, here in, in in our storybook, chapter 10, we see that Samuel confronts Saul. Now, the specifics of the confrontation actually aren't in the story, but they are in your Bible. And, uh, and you should read it because I tell you what, it's, it's amusing. The confrontation from Samuel to Saul. Samuel goes up to Saul to ask about the battle, but before Samuel can even open his mouth, Saul fires the first shot. He says, I've carried out all the Lord's instructions. And I think Samuel probably had a pretty good sense of humor because he says, oh, great, awesome. Hey, uh, is that sheep that I hear behind you? What are, those, are those cows lowing? Where'd those come from? And Saul tries to cover it up. He tries to hide what he's done. He says, oh, well, I mean, the men, the men took those. And he said, oh, but uh, we were going to use those as a sacrifice. I mean, those are the good ones. And we're going to use those as a sacrifice to your God, Samuel, to your God. In other words, he's not my God. He's yours. I, Saul, have declined him. Um, I think the reason I'm particularly amused with this particular um, confrontation is that it reminds me of my son, who's seven, who loves magic tricks. And he's not very good at them, you know, because he's seven. You know, but, but we laugh with him and we, we encourage him. And, and so, for example, he'll say, I'm going to make this handkerchief 
disappear. And he's quite a showman, and I do like that about him. And so he'll say, Do you see? Nothing. And so I'm going to form this hand into this pocket. And I'm going to put the handkerchief into this pocket of the hand. And I'm going to push really hard. And he says, Daddy, watch. The handkerchief's going to disappear. Daddy, watch. It's going to disappear. And it's gone. And it's very impressive, right? Yeah. Well, the problem is he's trying to trick his dad. And he's a child. Saul is trying to trick Samuel. And it's like a child trying to trying to trick their parents. When we try and trick God, we're the fools. I mean, we're the fools. And so when Bryant tries this trick, my son, who's seven, I mentioned that, he's great. But he says this. He says, I'm going to make this disappear. Are you ready? I'm going to make this into a pocket. And I'm going to put this handkerchief into the pocket. And then, voila! Abracadabra, alakazam, Poof. He's horrible at it, you know. (laughs) But he's so cute and I love him. But this is Saul. This is Saul telling Samuel, I've done everything the Lord asked. The point is, it doesn't even matter if he fools Samuel because you can't trick God. You can accept or you can decline and that is it. Samuel's response. This is where... I really, if you don't take anything else home today, all the other magic trick was fun, but remember this. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Remember Saul said, we're going to sacrifice these things. We didn't kill them, but we're going to sacrifice them. Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. To obey is better than sacrifice. You should write that down. To obey is better than sacrifice. Because see, from from that point on, Scripture tells us that God was grieved that He made Saul the king. He was grieved about it because of Saul's behavior, because he didn't obey. And because of that, Saul's reign as king was effectively over. It's just a matter of time now. So here's what we can learn from this story, when God sends an invitation, we can accept or decline, right? But when you start to decline God, you start to decline. I think that's pretty memorable, right? When you start to decline God, you start to decline. And every time you're disobedient, when you don't listen to His voice, you are choosing to decline Him. So let's contrast the stories of Hannah, Samuel, and Saul. Hannah obeyed God. And he blessed her. He gave her exactly what she desired. By the way, after she gave her firstborn son back to God, she had three more sons and, and two daughters. Samuel obeyed God and he blessed him. He gave him wisdom and influence to speak over Israel. And Saul didn't obey God. And while he had power for a while, he fell out of favor. He lost power, lost influence, and he lost a chance for a great legacy. And legacy was really important. Uh, especially in in these times. When you start to decline God, you start to decline. Now here's the other thing that the story of Saul teaches us is that partial obedience is disobedience. Saul did almost everything God instructed him to do. He took his place as king just like God told him to do. He fought the Philistines. 
He fought the Amalekites. He did that just like God told him, but he didn't do everything. And that was the problem because God wants obedience, not sacrifice. Partial obedience is disobedience. So I guess at this point, it's a good time to ask the question, what is God calling you to do? Uh, It may be that he's, for example, suggesting that you go on a mission trip. And you're thinking, you know, I'm pretty busy, but I feel like God's, you know, giving me this heart for missions, so I think I'll just give some money and send someone else. Listen, that's a sacrifice. It could be that God's calling you to that, but if he's calling you to go and you pay to send someone else, that's a sacrifice, but it's not obedience. Maybe he's calling you to be more intentional about leading your kids or your family, and so you've decided to send them to a summer camp. Now listen, summer camps are great. Maybe you should send your kids to a summer camp. But if that's not what you've been called to, it's disobedience. It may be that God's asking you to give away more of your income and you decide to serve more instead. Or maybe He's calling you to serve more and you give more instead. Either way, good things, sacrificial things, but not obedience. There's a lot of examples like this, but I I don't think I need to list any more because if God's invited you to do something with your life, you probably know what it is. You probably know the alternatives that you've laid out for yourself. And hopefully by now you've caught on to the fact that you need to accept, not decline. Because when you start to decline God, you start to decline. So the question then comes, does God still speak to us today? I mean, does God still speak to us like He did to Samuel when Samuel was a boy? I read a story while preparing for this week, and um, I think it illustrates it pretty well. Written by a man who was recalling an incident from the third grade where his teacher in the Christian school that he went to read the story that we talked about this morning, read the story of God calling out to the child Samuel. And she read this story to the class just as recess was set to begin. And then he says this. He says, The bell rang, and everyone went flying out to recess. But I was frozen solid in my chair. I couldn't move. Usually I was the first out the door. I loved recess. But timidly I went up to the teacher and I said, Do you think that God speaks to little boys today? And she said, Why do you ask? He said, Well, I don't know, but sometimes I'm on the playground and I see kids ganging up on kids who aren't popular, who aren't pretty, who aren't strong. There's something I feel very strong inside of me, like God is telling me to stop kids from doing that. And sometimes I'm in the bathroom and the guys are using filthy language and telling terrible stories or calling their parents' names. And I get this strong signal that I ought not to do that myself. And maybe I ought to tell them to knock it off. It just makes me feel like there are times when God is speaking to me. And looking back on it now, I realize that she had my whole spiritual future in her hands. Because I was asking, do you think God speaks to little boys? And she said, oh, Billy, yes. God still speaks to little boys. And if you listen and you obey, he will do that for you your whole life. And then she told him, if you were to stay open to the leadings of God in your life, I think God would do something really strong with your life someday. And even when I was only in the third grade, I remember thinking, well, then that's what I want to do. I want to let God speak to me and lead me. And I want to try and go wherever he tells me to go. And let's just see what happens. Now, I personally am very glad that little Billy accepted because that boy grew up to be Bill Hybels and to start Willow Creek Church in the suburb of Chicago. That's the fourth largest church in America. And Hybels has written countless books 
on leadership in the church, and he's influenced thousands of pastors and church leaders, including your church uh, Genesis staff and myself. And so I love this story because the voice of God calling you to do something may not be an audible voice because the Holy Spirit is with us and the Holy Spirit could be urging you towards something. Now, you'll know in your heart when you're being spurred into direction, but by being aware, by being open to His call, by listening for Him, you'll be ready when He speaks to you. John 10, 27 says this, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. So I don't think I need to tell you that Jesus isn't really talking about sheep here. He's talking about us. You and me. And about the love, the wisdom, and direction that He'll give us if we'll just follow Him. So as we close today, remember this. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. What's God calling you into? And will you obey? Will you accept? And when you start to decline God... You start to decline. Third, yes, He still speaks to us today. It may be that urge that you have right now to apologize to someone, to take that neighbor dinner, to invite that friend to church, to seek help for an addiction, to go serve in that area. Or maybe it's, it's an urge to take a step you haven't taken yet in church to invite Jesus into your life as your Savior. I mean, He died to save you. All you have to do is accept. And finally, accept Him. Don't conform to the patterns of this world. Be great. Be excellent. Be set apart. And be the kind of person that attracts people as they find their way back to God. Pray with me. Father God, You are so good. Thank You for inviting us into Your story. Thank You for setting us apart for considering us treasured for no other reason than you love us. Thanks for using us. God, thank you for asking that we would have our lives be set apart so that other people could find their way back to you through us. You could do this all on your own. and I don't know why you choose to use people that are imperfect like us, but I'm so thankful that you do. So God, for people that are here today,